see, this is my life. It always will be. There's nothing else. Just us. And the cameras. And those wonderful people out there in the dark. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Ready for Close-Up. It's our 30th episode, so it's a quasi-anniversary, and I'm celebrating, as usual, with Andy. Hi, Andy. Hi, Sam. It's been a while since last we talked. It has, yeah. And I was wondering, how have you been? What have you done? I know you've been traveling and working and experiencing things so what was it what was your highlight yes i've been traveling i had a beautiful trip uh to mexico and california which was amazing i also had the chance to catch up on a few movies that i wanted to watch for a long time more in the classic vein so i saw movies like cat on a hot tin roof magnificent seven Mm. the apartment from billy wilder i saw a douglas sirk movie with barbara stanovic so i really had also the chance to catch up a bit on those classic movies that I like and love which was great I mean not in preparation to the trip to Mexico but I accidentally was on the plane to Mexico City um, where I watched Frida the biopic with Salma Hayek about Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera which is played by Alfred Molina which was actually quite a nice introduction so to speak and a preparation for that trip to Mexico City so yeah was a very fruitful time both uh, in terms of travels but also in terms of movies well what I wanted to know from you as well because just like me in the summer you went to Hollywood I did I did exactly so what were your impressions of that because if if both of us have been to Tinseltown in the same year I think uh, I'm very curious to hear what were your like uh, cinematic impressions. I mean, it was great to see. I think we we talked in our uh, museum episode also about the Museum of the Academy Motion Pictures and Arts. And I've also visited that museum that you described in that episode. And it was it was really interesting. It was great. I think it was nice to be really at the center of where the magic happens, so to speak, of this huge right. industry. And you also realize that it is an industry. I went to see the Warner Brothers lot. So this was also a really nice experience. And it was funny because I booked actually the classic tour. So there are different types of tours there you could visit. And I booked the classics one, which was more focusing on the history of Warner Brothers, more around the foundation, the 30s, 40s, the Casablancas and the Betty Davis movies of the world. It was funny because all the other tours, which were more focusing on the sitcoms and the TV shows that Warner Brothers is producing now, such as Big Bang Theory or all these things, Friends. We were waiting in line for the classics tour and there were just like three elderly couples behind us and... The guy really repeatedly told us, are you sure you want to be in the classics <laughs> tour? This is the classics tour. We were like, yeah, 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 we, we fit right here. This is good. And it was great. It was really great to see <laughs> all these, the last still standing set piece of Casablanca, for example, or also wow. where they shot the Waltons and some, some, some James Cagney movies. So like these gangster film noir movies in, the, in these um, outside lots of the studio. So no, it was great. It was great. And it was, of course, it was also great to be at the Sunset Boulevard and also on the Walk of Fame and all these things that, Mm -hmm. yeah, it it was good to see. So iconic. Very iconic, yeah. And 
What about you, Sam? I also know that you had a beautiful trip, not through uh, Tinseltown, but through uh, Southern Europe. Tell us a bit mm-hmm. more about that. And also, did you have any connections to, to the cinema world whilst you were traveling? It was my sabbatical, so my time out from teaching. And I got to travel for seven weeks altogether through Spain, Portugal, France and Italy. And sometimes by coincidence, sometimes willingly, I came across a lot of like movie related things, um, starting with, for example, in San Sebastián, they were celebrating the 70th anniversary of the film festival there with a big exhibition. So the festival had not already started, but they had an exhibition at the local uh, arts museum and they showed lots and lots of really interesting footage, photographs, videos, posters of all those 70 years. And I just realized how how important San Sebastian is, how many uh, directors and stars have already been there. So that was an amazing exhibit. And then very often, of course, you came across movie locations, most famously probably in Lisbon. I was chasing a couple of the James Bond movie locations I hadn't been to and came across this jewelry store used in Honor Match Secret Service mm-hmm. and was generally also just admiring the cinematic qualities of these Portuguese cities, Porto included, where apparently also Harry Potter was created in a bookstore. So suddenly I came across this, the origin of Harry Potter, because yeah. J.K. Rowling apparently had a husband from Portugal or from Porto. So that was a, an interesting find. And then randomly I came across these Aston Martins used in Goldfinger. Like one was at the Guggenheim Museum in Bilbao. And the second one I literally just stumbled upon behind the yacht in Antibes, France. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> As one does. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> and both of them were literally, there are four in the world that were used in the film that still exist. And the one in Antibes, amazingly, is the only one that still is like street ready. So you can still drive it. But it does have all the like special effects, Catches. like the ejector seat and the the machine guns without uh, ammunition, I, I assume. I ended up with another Aston Martin reference back in Matera in the south of Italy, which was also, of course, highly cinematic because besides Bond, also Wonder Woman and a couple of other films have been mm-hmm. made there. And this is really the up-and-coming town in Italy, just like they call it the new Venice. Everyone now tries to go there and it's stunningly beautiful and I can see why it's been used in so many different movie contexts. This movie stuff just popped up on the way and it was it was great. It, it just kind of bracketed all these impressions that there would always be new stuff. Also the Fellini Museum in, in Rimini, I think I, I told you about, mm-hmm. which just opened last year, was amazing. And thinking back of our last episode, talking about... Fellini exhibits that can be more or less successful and more or less making you want to see his films. This one was really one that, that made you want to go back to all these Fellini movies and, and, and just watch them over. It was really, really well done at the local castle, huge um, exhibits, <coughs> archives, really st- stunning stuff so altogether very cinema related as well nice and have you seen any movies as of late any have you been to the cinema itself yeah i guess because of traveling i really didn't see much until i was back and then i was kind of busy you know getting ready back to go back to school but i did manage to go see two movies last week and actually i you know figured you had seen the same ones one is uh, Universal's Bros, 
kind of the first mainstream LGBTQ plus content film, as it was advertised at least. And just yesterday, I saw the new Marvel movie Wakanda Forever. So I'm I'm back with the kind of more mainstreamy films, and I'm curious to to get your impressions as well because you saw them just recently. Two. Shall we start with with bros? I'm very curious to see how that went down for you. Mm-hmm. To see a, I don't know, can we call it a mainstream queer comedy? And how that went down for you? Because I went there with low expectations. I know I was prepared for the worst, but I'm curious to see what what your reaction was. I also had not that high expectations, to be honest. And the film also just really sneaked up on me while I was in California. And I also saw it in LA, actually. Yeah, the thing was, I, I, I was fairly familiar with Billy Eichner as an actor, as a comedian, as a writer but not too much. And so my expectation level was not too high going into the movie. I would say I had a good time. I think I was entertained. It was, it had a few good gags. It's really taking maybe this sort of cliched romantic comedy form and breaks it up a bit with a gay touch, I would say, a queer queer eye on on this very cliched formula of, of romantic comedies. And sometimes it, it achieves really well to to break up this mold because it, it really can show that maybe queer dating or gay men are are different from what we are used to seeing a man and a woman dating on 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 screen in these romantic comedies and i think sometimes it really achieves this really well by by breaking up that with with few good gags you mentioned that it's the first or it's it was marketed as one of the first studio produced queer romantic comedies and i think somehow there it I had the impression it was tampered down a bit or it had to it had to adhere to some certain expectations or marketing expectations or 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 maybe a, a ratings I don't know I th- I think there was there, it, it could have been meaner it could have been more daring it could have been more crass I think sometimes it went in the right direction but not enough for me but I think overall it was enjoyable. Was it uh, the eye-opening queer comedy that I was always <laughs> dreaming of and uh, had never dared that this would ever make the screen? Probably not. I think it's because we were also quite used to see a lot of queer content on streaming services. I think it probably does not have this huge impact that it they thought it might it have. So I would say it was entertaining, it was fun, that's about it. I think I I will not remember this movie maybe in a year's time. I don't know what, what mm-hmm. your thoughts are on that. Oh, very, very similar. I, uh, As I said, low expectations, and I was actually positively surprised increasingly during the film. I thought it got the mix kind of right, starting with a few awkward moments that had me cringe. And I thought, oh my God, are they now going to go through the whole gay dating, you know, detailed rapport of what he goes through day day after day? And I think they they it was it was well written. I thought it was well developed over those two hours, and it it takes quite a bit to develop a, a comedy and and have it last for two hours and kind of make it work. I, I like the different aspects of it, the the romance that kind of starts off coolly and, and, and randomly at a, at a gay club and then develops into something which I thought would be very shallow at the beginning, but then they did manage to kind of contrast these two men 
and really like kind of root them in two types that do exist. So it seemed like kind of tied to something. And then I also like this, this quasi-political side, this building of the Gay History Museum um, with these board meetings where mm-hmm. they could go get all the, you know, letters of the LGBTQ plus uh, group in there. The whole family bit with uh, Luke McFarlane's character was quite well played. I really enjoyed Amanda Beers from Married with Children, mm-hmm. who was there as, as um, Luke McFarlane's mom. I thought that had a really a few uh, hilarious moments. On the whole, I would say it was a bit imbalanced for me. It, it tried to do maybe too many things, like be, as you said, this self-referential comedy, make references to other movies and queer movies, tell a somewhat compelling story of this guy and his dating problems and this romance at the same time. But yeah, just like with any well-written movies if it's enough rooted in in reality if you recognize yeah that 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 type does exist those people do exist and if that is exaggerated to an enjoyable level with enough good gags on the way and i laughed often i must say i stuff made me laugh i didn't consciously think oh it's a comedy i will have to laugh or this is supposed to make me laugh i actually laughed out loud a couple of times so i would say on the whole well done, but maybe trying to do too much by being this first mainstream LGBTQ studio movie. Reminded me a lot of Woody Allen at times as well. The writing and, and the, mm. the way the, the character is, is, is painted. Just this, you know, social misfit that uh, is annoyed by everything that, that's around him. <laughs> Very neurotic, so I had like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. so I had like Woody Allen vibes at times. Not, you know, like brilliant best Woody Allen, but like the attitude was similar. And I think I was wondering, you know, is, is that the, the mode that you can go to successfully in, in American comedies? Is this social misfit, misfit by coincidence also both with the Jewish background and they have this particular sense of humor looking at the world, looking at American society and then that somehow works out. Yeah, I think it's it has to do with that, that Billy Eichner plays this misfit, as you say, because that allows him somehow to, to mirror the world he's surrounded with, right? So he can really contrast and, and he's part of it, but he can also step out of it and make fun of it. And I think that's why a lot of the gags also work, that he's annoyed that the queers are voguing in the club or things like that. <laughs> um, there's like, or yeah, there, I think there's there's this nice, nice friction there between him being part of this queer world, queer thing, but then he doesn't really fit in. Yeah, he's, he's also a podcaster in the movie and, and a writer. And then he's he, he has this analytical mind and he's really trying to to analyze everything and and to be he's very self-aware of how queer he is how gay he is how the social world functions around him and then i think that's why it's also works as a good foil for the audience to to get into that and be and it enables him to make fun of things and then mcfarland's character on the other hand is then more the the other side of of the queer world this very physical um buff gym led uh <laughs> queen i would say that's more about um physical looks but then also shows other sides of him and i think the chemistry was actually quite good between these two guys, mm-hmm. I would say, which which I didn't expect it would happen in the beginning. When you mentioned the movie starts a bit slow, I would say, and you're also not quite sure how 
they will fit together and how they will bond together. But I think the, the chemistry grows over the time um, mm -hmm. of, of, of the story and, and it worked, I think. Mm -hmm. I thought it was quite rich in that sense and, and it kind of captured this this dichotomy of, of, of gay guys like you described it just before very well. My One of my favorite scenes is probably when then Billy Eichner tries to be, you know, the cool gym dude and he just, you know, turns around his hat <laughs> and he goes into the gym and just lowers his voice and does the whole act. And it does work. But then once, the, once that magic is gone, you know, there's this exposure moment between two gays kind of after the fact. And it's, it's hilarious because there's so much truth in that. How this is all about kind of posing and fitting a certain type, a certain profile, when in fact you're just, you know, a human being. Mm. And I felt the way he was portrayed with all, with his job, his social life, um, his relationship, his friendships. It, it, was, it was well done. I felt, again, that the writing was good, the dialogue was good. To capture an actual character in, like that is entertaining to watch, but it also connects to different aspects of the, not just the queer experience, but I guess also their friends and the families around them and, and people seeing them from the outside. So in that sense, it, 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 it was a good entry as a kind of more mainstreamy film, because I guess audience were also supposed to connect that are not queer audiences, obviously, otherwise Universal wouldn't have seen the potential in, in producing it as a, as a bigger movie. Yeah, I'm wondering why it doesn't do so well at the box office. Mm -hmm. I think it it's not the hit they were hoping for. Mm -hmm. Maybe still there is that 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 barrier, you know, for for audiences if they have a choice between the newest Marvel movie or uh, other types of comedy and then going to see Bros. Maybe there is still that that thought you know, of saying, well, that's not that's not for us. Even though I felt there were a, a number of approaches where that also worked for. Um, other parts of an audience yeah maybe maybe i think it's difficult to speculate on on how why it was not the success they were expecting it to be like maybe it could also have to do with with uh star power that was lacking potentially i think it was not household names that draw in the masses maybe also the marketing was off in a way i don't know i think it's 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 tricky to say but i think and this is also what i said in the beginning i think it was a good movie was entertaining it's easy to watch but at the same time is it really a great cinematic experience probably not probably you can also watch it on a streaming service and you'll have right. an equally good time so really what would be the draw to really get people to see it in the cinema? It's up for debate, I would say. I think there's there's a lot of content also on streamers that are similar or go in the same direction. and People are willing to embrace that there. But really making the move to go and see it in on the big screen, yeah, I don't know. Just based on good writing, I guess you can't get people to, to go see a, a comedy at the cinema. There would have to be some, some added value, like you said, the visuals or the stars or the fact that you cannot see it anywhere else. This is easily a movie that you can wait for and also see on like streaming later on or whatever. Absolutely. It will be re-released. So it's not, it's not that. But I think we have another movie that we're going to talk about that is a lot about the visuals you and i actually on the same day saw wakanda forever the newest entry into the marvel universe this time 
a sequel to a very successful entry called Black Panther that was, of course, a big success when it came out, had a very different vantage point on the Marvel Universe than before. It was one of the first newer Marvel movies that I saw and probably one of the only ones I liked. <laughs> because, I, <laughs> as you might know, I'm not a big Marvel watcher and I had always difficulties with... Uh, the Avengers approach of like throwing everything in there but the kitchen sink and so Black Panther I thought really had an interesting focus an interesting story to tell the captivating characters and of course the most important one Chadwick Boseman is missing as the actor has passed away since and the, the big question I think for people excited to see this movie was well what did they do how did they manage to do Black Panther in a way without the original Black Panther. Really curious to see what you felt about the movie, what your expectations were maybe to begin with before you went to see it. As you mentioned, Black Panther, when it came out in 2018, was really very original. It was very, offered a different kind of, of, of Marvel superhero movie. And I think it was very radical. It really portrayed African culture in a very strong and positive light. It really celebrated African culture. It was altogether a very cohesive world and a very cohesive world building was done, which was very entertaining. It was great. And Chadwick Boseman was super charismatic as the lead and had a great supporting cast around him. So I think still to this day, I think Black Panther is one of the better Marvel movies, I would say, even after, I don't know, 25 plus movies in. And so my expectations after his tragic death, and they were still going on with the production, and I was like, okay, but how are they going to do it? Are they going to recast him, or the Black Panther, or they're going to find a way around it? And after it was clear, they would try to find a way around him, so not recasting the role of the Black Panther of T'Challa. Yeah, I was like, okay, how, how, how is this going to work? How can they do that? And... I think this is also what looms largely over this film, Wakanda Forever, really this, this missing protagonist. And I think they're doing a really good job. The movie opens with King T'Challa being ill by an unnamed disease and, and his sister Shuri is not able to, to find a, a cure for him with all her uh, science and her, her knowledge. And it starts with then with his death and then an, an, a funeral, which is really beautifully filmed. And there's also Angela Bassett as Queen Ramonda. And it starts already with a funeral. And I think the movie does this very delicately, I would say. So they're not really exploiting Boseman's death within the movie, within the story, but they always find these very touching moments throughout the story, I would say. And the movie then continues and it's really also about the people who are left behind. And I think we all have encountered loss in our lives one way or another. So I think there's also something that's very relatable for for a lot of people. Yeah, I, th I thought it was really interesting that the movie dares to stay in this grief and not just like, okay, we do an opening scene with a funeral and then let's go on this new Marvel adventure and let's uh, save the world once again from aliens. So the movie really keeps on referencing the loss of, of T'Challa and on a meta level, Chadwick Boseman. And I would say was really carried by really strong performances by Letitia Wright and especially also Angela Bassett, but also Lupita Nyong'o who comes in into the movie a bit later on. I think the movie 
manages to tell then a story out of this grief and then can continue also. But I think I really appreciated that they were grieving <laughs> in a way quite a bit. I don't know what, what your thoughts were around that. Oh, very much the same. I, I also thought the fact that they didn't actually show Chadwick Boseman except for like a wall painting that, that comes up very briefly in the film and they, mm -hmm. they, they let that simmer until the very end where there's this short release of, of images about him. Letitia Wright is thinking of him, his sister at the very end in, in a beautiful scene and a beautiful ending. I thought it was very, very tastefully done and I had not really expectations what they would do, but I was curious obviously because I knew Ah, oh, so this is supposed to be the sequel. Um, I didn't quite know who they would put at the center, so I went in with 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 an open mind, and I was just blown away on on so many different levels. I think because there is that that emotional weight at the beginning, it also makes the stakes of the film that then come up much more significant. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. In a way, the exploitation that Wakanda fears of its resources, the competition that comes up with the new enemy and the new people from like under the under the ocean that also have access to vibranium. Vibranium is the mysterious natural resource only Wakanda has. <laughs> exactly, but no longer is it only no Wakanda. Longer. So that also, in a way, you know, what could have been is a silly setup, a silly competition, then, you know, those two peoples fighting each other and, and going to war to each other was really kept in, a, in, in an interesting balance because this actual battle between them is then relatively short. The focus is in a different place. And I thought that was really well done, that the female characters have such center stage. It's a movie where I felt... I've hardly ever seen a mainstream action movie that really t did that so like fully and said, well, these are our main characters. We don't need to somehow balance it out with having this amazing male and female hero at the same time. It was really story driven. And I thought it, it made also for a much more yeah, just deep experience into the, the, the family relations that had already been there didn't introduce a whole lot of new characters but the ones it introduced were really strong it, it made everything more have seemed to have more weight even the action at times i felt was meaningful there's an amazing action scene that that takes place at around the mit um massachusetts when they pick up this uh, scientist that they need that turns out to be this very a very clever um, female student and there is a, an amazing chase through the nightly streets on three different vehicles and what could be just like random regular action fare in a way is just imbued with so much more thanks to the the setup and the emotional stakes and i felt even with the villain they managed to to create such a multi-layered personality that you you can't just say okay you know bad guy who wants to challenge them and they created this interesting history rooted in actual history I, I don't know i was curious to see how did the, the main villain work out for you because he's in a way the the main male character and we we think at first at least he's the super villain but but he's more than that right yeah i think it was really well done in that sense that they introduced another world it's like this kingdom of talokan which is underwater and there's this whole history around it how these people came to live underwater and um namor uh, is the name of the villain he's this 
demigod mutant who has winged uh, heels and he uh, can swim and uh, of course he can swim but so like there's all these um fascinating world building around that and it's very rooted in in uh, yucatan and mexican um, history as well so I thought this was a nice counterpart to the world building we had maybe in the first part where it was more about Wakanda and more this Afrofuturistic world. We don't get to see that much of Wakanda this time around. I thought it was really more a focus on, as you said, the T'Challa's family, the female characters and their, their grief and their quest. And then it goes into other places such as the kingdom of Talokan underwater and all these things around there and Namor as a villain I think worked in a way I think it was also it has a really interesting maybe geopolitical subcontext to it that did both they are basically exploited people what happens when when other people want to to take what you have or to mine what is yours and how do you do you attack them or do you try to be diplomatic about this so i think there was also this interesting geopolitical subtext to it to his role also in comparison to maybe the wakandans which then in the end they realize okay we're basically very similar and we have a very similar history or background so for me he sort of worked as a villain but at the same time i think the movie also builds up a lot of sympathy for him and his thought process or his plans and i think in a way it made the st i mean the stakes in that sense were then okay why are they fighting each other at all and i caught myself sometimes even rooting more for him and his people <laughs> than the wakandans <laughs> so i i thought it was this was a weird twist of of things that it was like okay but suddenly because in the first movie you're like okay wow Wakanda and what they can do and their superpowers and that this utopia of a better society and everything and this time around I think you get a bit less of that and you're not really they come off as a, maybe a bit more arrogant was my impression yeah did, did the villain work to answer your question I think he's a very compelling villain it was a great build up on that but yeah you also have sympathy mm -hmm. for him and his people and the, the, the struggles they have and the willingness to, to remain underwater, quite literally, and not be exploited by anyone mm -hmm. else. So it was interesting. I think it was complex. I think it was complex enough for, for a Marvel villain, mm -hmm. which is already something. Yeah, to put all that ambiguity in there about him and, and his people and the, their quest and Wakanda's quest. And I think on the geopolitical front, that was really, really fascinating to kind of have these uh, fictional uh, cultures and to say so much about uh, actual history. And then, but also cleverly, mm -hmm. as, as you said, connected to colonial history and connected, for instance, to the, the actual United Nations. There's that scene at the beginning where France and the US appear to be so, so blunt in their, or so, clumsy in their attempts to threaten Wakanda and Angela Bassett really stands them down. And I thought that was also interesting how there is that real world connection that is tangible. It's not just a, a fantasy world. It's also rooted in something that we recognize and they're able to say something also just by putting these into such almost cartoonish categories. I also felt 
the the typical characters we would have in such a movie, including Martin Freeman as a government agent and his ex-wife mm. uh, Julia Dreyfus as somewhat his 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 boss, his superior. It was very interesting that there were such minor characters. They were there and normally they would have had probably an even bigger story arc or an even bigger role. But they were kind of like on the fringes, at the outskirts of the actual struggle. And I thought it was an interesting cinematic twist of kind of putting everything into the minority that is normally majority of a mainstream movie, including, mm -hmm. you know, more relatively well-known uh, names and and uh, and tropes so i thought that i also enjoyed that it was so so boldly something alternative in terms of alternative history just a viewpoint on you know spanish colonization when we see the backstory of the of the villain of namor it's so interesting i thought so i thought this is the way it it should be done this is the way i want to see pressing political issues about equality and the future of society kind of put into mainstream films this is a convincing way how this is done and that's what cinema can still do in a way create alternative perspectives but then make them you know entertaining and then tangible and emotional and, and connectable there were a couple of like 10 or 12 year old boys in in the audience and they were i'm sure taking this in very very carefully what they saw making maybe not able to make all these connections to what is real and what is what is fictional but i thought it was it was an interesting moment to experience at a at a cinema to say oh wow okay so this is the the main this is mainstream cinema 2022 it felt like something really fresh even though i know black panther to a certain extent did that too but but it did it, it felt very fresh and daring and like to the point yeah exactly and i think that's that's also what makes Wakanda Forever quite a standout, I would say, in the last few slate of, of moral movies, um, which were potentially more fan service or just uh, trying to be funny or entertaining or just to throw everything at you with CGI. So I think this is still what, what makes Wakanda Forever as, as, a, as a mini franchise within a franchise so unique that it still has this very unique selling point, this point of view and also putting, as you mentioned earlier, the strong female black characters into focus and have them great roles, great scenes, I think. Um, and also the, the, the costumes, I think, are amazing once again, which are also really telling a story. They feel very vivid. They're not just there to, to signify a, an armor or anything. They really feel full of history. And I think the, the costume designer, Ruth Carter, she won an Oscar for the first Black Panther. It's understandably why, because once again, here in this movie, the, the costumes really feel alive in a way. Probably the costumes were better than the set design, I would say, because I think think you don't really see much of Wakanda itself you don't I think the action scenes are a bit muddy I think that the rest of the the look of the movie as a whole feels a bit dark a bit muddy I think there are not that many set pieces that remain mm -hmm. I would say visually when I think of the first one there was like this amazing scene at the waterfall 
where T'Challa is fighting against Michael B. Jordan's character, Killmonger. So there's really that it has really this amazing visual to it. And I think this movie, despite the amazing performances, despite the great costumes, I think there was somehow for me a bit lacking this this visual overwhelming, this feeling of, of being overwhelmed visually by something stunning. You never really get the idea how Wakanda looks like, I would say. And that's probably my not only criticism, but I think that was one of them. That I think the movie really lives off the performances and the story and the subtext. But visually and also the action scenes didn't really convince me 100%. Maybe I didn't have the direct comparison between Black Panther anymore. I, I didn't remember as much. I seem to recognize a few locations and scenes, but that didn't really bother me. I thought, I think I was most taken in by the the emotional um, aspect, the acting, just uh, what was at stake. So I, I didn't really focus on that. I did notice that the, the score was really interesting as well, how it, it blended song parts like seamlessly with score parts. So it kind of went in and mm -hmm. out of with the wordless uh, voices, but then there was part of a song again also before the credit ended i think with a rihanna song if i'm not uh, mistaken yeah the one the famous one she came back oh, with after see, I don't know, seven know years of <laughs> oh, oh my god, god. <laughs> so but it's, it's of course it was a standout but at the same time it also felt like a, a a whole concept that they had also worked on and that worked really well because it felt different there were a few moments where there was this traditional for instance action score or this traditional use of songs in a movie that seemed like separate from the rest it was all kind of blended in and it felt very organic and also very modern in that sense i thought oh yeah okay i see how music can also be used and how songs can be used to drive a scene forward without just being a nice you know tapestry or or uh a rock or a pop song or a romantic song to kind of set the mood. It was, it had more to say and, mm -hmm. and more to do in, in that moment. So that would go together with my impression of it being really, really fresh. And so these other aspects didn't really stick out uh, as much or didn't, didn't really bother me. I was kind of swooned uh, also by the underwater world, which I think was a standout, but maybe not necessarily a set piece. It's more like the the special effects that were used to give an impression of that. That could have been a little bit more of that, maybe, of that like visual splendor underwater. But I guess we'll have to wait for uh, Avatar, the way of water, <laughs> for that to happen. <laughs> Thank you that you mentioned it, because I was... Because also the, a lot of the people of this underwater world are blue, right. right? So when they jump on land <laughs> and they attack the thing. And I was like, okay, I've already seen Avatar The Way of Water. Yeah, now. what are you going to do? Because it was, well, what can James Cameron come up with now? I've seen it. <laughs> Apparently, no. even but, though, um, as we speak of, of Avatar Way of Water, there was a trailer just before the movie started. I don't know if it was the same for you, but there was the, the long theatrical trailer and of course, looked stunning, and I'm 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 very curious to see that one. Are, are you also looking forward to to this movie, or are there other movies that you are excited for up until the end of the year? Yeah, I mean we're we're heading towards the end of the year, and of course, I mean I'm sure you will also hear on this channel very soon a best of the year list. <laughs> so I still want to see some, to be honest. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, Glass Onion 
which is the Knives Out uh, follow-up from Ryan Johnson. Uh, it's another murder mystery with Daniel Craig in the role as uh, Benoit Blanc, I believe is his name, as a sleuth, which has also a great star cast with uh, uh, Kate Hudson, Dave Bautista, Edward Norton, Janelle Monet. So there's... This one looks really good. I'm looking forward to that. There is another one, probably more a smaller, more intimate historic movie with Florence Pugh, which is called The Wonder, which is about um, an English nurse who's sent to Ireland to investigate on a girl who hasn't been eating for two months. And it's in the, I think, in the 18th century. And there's like esoteric things going on slightly on the horror edge. So I'm quite curious to see that one as well. What about you? I, I will go see this Avatar movie because I'm hooked now <laughs> on the fascination with the underwater. No, also like like big scale movies. I, I realized watching the trailer, I thought, oh my God, how long has it been that a James Cameron movie has come out? And what a big deal that used to be in the 1990s and beyond that. Mm, and mm -hmm. Avatar, even though I wasn't really swooned at the beginning, I, I did really like it after seeing it a couple of times. So I'm, I'm just very curious to see uh, what you can still get out of that relatively thin story, but the great visuals. Um, and they've made four of these movies now that will come out every second year until 2028. So I'm just going to go with an open mind and say, okay, wow me, Cameron, you've done it before, at least in a, in a visual sense or a filmmaking sense. So I'm excited for that because, you know, Cameron has always like pushed the envelope in, in some sense, even though he, if you didn't like his, uh, his screenplays or his dialogue or the, the tone of the film, but he's always done something amazing with technology. So I'm curious what he does with a, a sequel that I think to a large extent will still look like the original, but how can they like push it into a different direction? Like in terms of just seeing it at the cinema and enjoying the full visuals and audio splendor of it. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that one. But then I saw two trailers just yesterday, which made me curious about two movies. First one is the new collaboration between Timothée Chalamet and uh, Luca Guadagnino, which is uh, Bones and All, mm -hmm. in which uh, Chalamet mm -hmm. seems to play another part of a romance just like in Calling By Your Name, he's kind of the romantic lead, but this time he's a very different tone and a very different type of movie, <laughs> it seems. Looks murderously good. And the, the trailer looked like it's quite mind-blowing, I have to say. And very, very different from what uh, I'm expecting of a Luca Guadagnino movie starring Timothée Chalamet. So I'm curious to see Bones at all. Mm -hmm. And finally, also the new Damon Chazelle movie, Babylon had a trailer on yesterday. And of course, I'm very, very curious about that one. We started with talking about Tinseltown. This one will take us to the 1920s, so 100 years back and into a bit of history, alternative history on, on, on Hollywood. Stars Brad Pitt and Margaret Robbie. I also saw Tobey Maguire somewhere. And, but there were, so, there were so many in such a short time. It basically looked like a, a blast, an explosion of like the atmosphere of that time. Also the, the draw that this time must have had. And maybe also the, the whirlpool of partying and emotions and, and trying to make a career and the breakdowns and the falls from grace. So it, it, it looked interesting. 
and I'm definitely going to give it a give it a shot. It sure does. It sure does look interesting. And I think it um, since this is our 30th episode, I think your last movie recommendation also links back to our first episode we did on Hollywood. Right. Uh, the, the Ryan Murphy um, TV show which was also maybe a little bit later, but also showing all the trials and tribulations of Tinseltown. Babylon is also on my list, of course. The trailer looks amazing. I'm really curious to see that one. Another one came to mind if we're just throwing <laughs> upcoming movies <laughs> into the ring. It's the new Kate Blanchett movie, Tar, where she plays a female conductor. And it also stars Nina Hoss, I think, as, as her partner, companion. And this one really, really looks amazing. It also has a, a great trailer that doesn't tell you anything but makes you want to see it and then another one the menu right i don't know if you've seen the trailer of I that think one of the, the title it's, and i couldn't think of it but that's definitely on my list too it's with ralph fines and anya taylor joy looks amazing i think it's like a on a secluded island guests arrive at a dinner from a super chef and then i think the evening spirals into some murderous incidents. Yeah, this one looks really promising. So I think we're in for a treat the next few weeks and months to come. It sounds very much like it. And I do sense a very large uh, amount of excitement about films coming out, uh, giving them a shot and, and, and really amazing trailers as well. And I think that's also something good to feel at the end of a year. Again, looking back, through our podcast years. Just a while ago, we, there was a shortage of films that just came out or that were even coming out. And of course, it, it's nice to see that there's so much material now. It seems also kind of piling up and, and still waiting to be mm. released. And um, yeah, I've been to the cinema now a couple of times and I, I, I felt again that love for sitting there and seeing it on a big screen, which I think this year has been still quite difficult and I, I was more missing from the cinema than than present but yeah these these films make me excited about it exactly and i think it's also uh, award season coming up so i think that's why also all the studios are launching all the big big hitters uh at the end of the year beginning of the year to to tie up for for award season <laughs> So I think we're we're going into a very interesting phase. And as you say, yeah, there there have been good movies coming out and they continue to come out. So hopefully we will be back with another episode very soon, right? Yes. Where we will review and discuss and babble about Babylon. Absolutely. So uh, the fresh releases will definitely be on our menu. And hopefully, dear listeners, you will also be again with us. Thank you, Andy, for being part of this fall review. Thank you so much, Sam. And winter preview. And of course, we look forward to having you back when we go again to another episode of Ready for Close-Up. Oh my god, do you guys remember straight people? Yeah, they had a nice run. Love.